This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is a Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 20th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Parker Owen, Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwinker, working in Connecticut. I'm Buster Only. I'm working in Arlington, Texas, where in just a few hours, they will play game five of the American League Championship Series because the Astros are alive. The Diamondbacks, Taylor, are alive. It's alive. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Okay, so they're two completely different circumstances, but maybe you were a little bit surprised by each. The Astros having been down 2-0 after losing games one and two at home in Houston, and the Diamondbacks win a game in this series. Which one's more improbable to you? Uh, I guess. The oh, come on, that's an obvious answer. For the God's Diamondbacks sake. winning a game. I mean, you know, it took it took every yes, every last finally. out to get there. I, I thought it was like a layup quiz for you. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, the Friday. Diamondbacks are. I didn't think the Diamondbacks would win a game, and the Astros are the defending champions. How is it? Come on, I'm so tired, Buster. I'm so tired. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about the Astros and Rangers first from last night. They the Astros just jumped all over Andrew Heaney in the top of the first. First and third, nobody out. The pitch to Bregman. He sends one to right center, and this one is deep. Nobody's going to get it. It hits down, goes to the wall. Altuve easily in. Dubon follows. Bregman to third. Here's the throw. He's got a triple. And it is 2-0 on Alex Bregman's triple to right. What a start for Houston. That was Carl Ravitch on ESPN Radio. Jordan Alvarez kept the rally going. The dangerous Jordan Alvarez. He rifles one in the center field on a first pitch fastball. Alvarez delivers again. Bregman is in. All four have reached. And it is 3-0 Houston. I can't tell whose exhortation that was. I think it may have been Eduardo Perez in the background. We're going to be talking with Eduardo coming up. It might have been Tim who was shocked by his uh, earlier golf performance against Buck Showalter and Carl Ravitch. Anyway. It was 3-0 Houston early. The Rangers would come back, bottom of the third. First pitch to Seager. And he swings at the first one and drives this one deep to left center field. It is at the wall and over the wall. Corey Seager, see you later time, into the bullpen. And just like that, the Rangers have rallied to tie it. Seager blast makes it 3-3. But in the top of the fourth inning, the Astros would break that tie. And another 3-2 on the ninth pitch of the at-bat. Alvarez sends this one deep to center field. And at the track, it is going to be caught out there by Leone Tavares. Maldonado will tag. And going to third is Altuve. And he just missed it. Next up to the plate for the Astros, Jose Abreu. The next pitch, Abreu rifles one deep to left center field, and Jose Abreu is a hero. A three-run shot, and a no-doubter that traveled 438 feet. Abreu's fourth of the postseason. The Astros now lead by four. What a shot. It was a monster home run. You know, Hunter Brown was warming up to come to the game, and I talked to him after the game, and he said that as the ball was headed out toward the Astros' bullpen, the visiting bullpen here in Texas, he thought he was going to be able to catch the ball, but it went over his head. I mean, it was an absolute monster shot. It set off an Astros route. This is what it sounded like at the end. The 0-1. On the ground, Bregman will field it, and he will throw to first. 
And the Astros make a statement. They even the series up at two and two. They score 10 with 11 hits and a couple of big blasts. And it's a whole new series in the LCS. Two all is, uh, you know, what you're hearing from the Astros players. Okay, we're down to a best of three. I spoke with Jose Abreu right after the game through an interpreter. And Jose, the turning point in this game was your home run. Walk us through that play to parents and what you did there. Hablarle a él sobre el turno en que conectaste el home run que diste la vuelta al juego ahí. Yo creo que los muchachos, eh, es importante resaltar que los muchachos hicieron un gran trabajo en general. Yo creo que somos un equipo y lo más importante es la victoria y eso es lo que se vino a hacer aquí. Independientemente del turno mío, yo creo que fue un turno que fui a buscar el mejor swing y gracias a Dios salió. You know, I think it's important to highlight that, you know, the great job that the guys did. We're here a team and the most important thing for us is to get the win. Independently, you know, I had a really good bat there. I went up there trying to make a good swing and thankfully was able to get that. Jose, how much did this game mean to you after all the struggles that you had early in the year, the way you worked through that, to have a moment like this? ¿Qué tanto significa este juego para ti, sabiendo toda la lucha que pasaste durante la temporada, toda la alta y la baja durante la temporada para ti? Yo creo que al final Dios sabe por qué hace las cosas. Si en la temporada no pasó de la mejor manera, aquí estamos funcionando un poquito mejor, pero lo más importante es la victoria como equipo, que es lo que se vi. You know, I think God knows why he does what he does. You know, if we didn't get in the regular season, I'm getting the results here now. You know, he's the one that knows. And the most important thing is that we got the win. I spoke with Jose Altuve. All right, Jose. So you guys jump on Andrew Heaney in the first inning. How important was that, given how important this game was for you guys? Big game for us, starting the game, be able to, to score some runs, create some momentum like we did today. It was good, especially against uh, Heaney. I think he's been pitching great. Uh, all year, so you know, just to be able to to get him out of the game early was, I think, the key for us. Jose Abreu's home run. What was the reaction in the dugout when he did that? Obviously, this is like the third, or fourth homer he hits in, in this uh, playoff. All really important, but tonight to be able to to hit that one and give us the opportunity to win this game and tie the series was, you know, huge. Uh, you know, we're all happy for him because he deserves everything is happening to him. Describe the year that he's been through with a slow start and working through it and where he is now. I think we all forget about you know his year. We all focus on what he's doing right now. He's having an amazing playoff, and that's what all want for him and all we care about right now. All right, game five, Justin Verlander on the mound for you guys. How you feeling? Feeling really good. Uh, you know, obviously he's our number one. He's been in this situation before, and we feel good about our opportunity tomorrow. All right, Jose, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to complain to Jose later today because uh, all he in a lot of the questions you ask him these days, he's deflecting because he just wants to focus on today. What's that about? We need like the life story in those post game interviews, Taylor. Right? I want to see some tears, Jose. Come on, you've been through the ringer here. You're coming out the other side, you played on some terrible White Sox teams. Like, have some fun, loosen up. No, a little. Jose Tuve, I meant. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought you were talking. You know, Jose Tuve. He is right now in doing the post game interviews. It's kind of fun to try to structure questions that will get him out of that. We're going to focus on this moment mode. And Good I'm luck. going to tell Good him luck. that later today when I see him at the ballpark. <laughs> All right, Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, talked about the series going forward. We tied the game. We got their starter out. Their bullpen uh, did a, a, tough, a great job on us, and uh, we just couldn't um, get back in it. We had some chances. A couple double plays there really uh, uh, cut out some rallies. Uh, that hurt. Uh, had some tough luck, buzzer luck on the, in the fifth inning with, with some hard, uh, hard hit balls. And um, you know, we keep battling. Now, hey, it's even. Uh, it's two out of three now.
Doesn't it always feel like when Boach talks, he's the next thing he's going to say, I'll see you down at the OK Corral, you know? He's like he's leading to a conversation about a gunfight at some point down and, uh, you know, at high noon. I feel like he'd make a he'd be like a good narrator for like a Western, you know, like the omnipresent voice that's <laughs> setting up scenes. You know, maybe he'll you know, if they reprise Yellowstone, maybe it should get him out to Montana. Ooh, what do you think? <laughs> good idea. All right. Uh, as that game uh, was started last night, the Diamondbacks and Phillies were finishing up their game three, which is kind of crazy. A rookie was Dominant on the mound for Arizona. The 0-2 on the way. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Five shutout innings for Brandon Fought. He has punched out eight. That matches a career high. And a 25-year-old from Louisville has been outstanding. It was still 0-0, top of the sixth inning. And uh, Fott continued. 3-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. And a career high nine strikeouts. For Brandon fought. Wow, has he been good. Fought pitching again in the sixth inning against uh, Rojas. Rojas flies to center. Tori Lovello is out of the dugout. He has not made the point to the pen. Now he has. And we got ourselves a pitching change. Listen to this hand for Brandon fought. Five and two-thirds shutout innings. Yeah, welcome to baseball in 2023 when someone gets taken out completely dominant, throwing a shutout with about 70 pitches, and it just seems normal, the standard operating procedure. Now, after he left the game, the Phillies took the lead in the top of the seventh. And the pitch. Way outside, it gets past the catcher. Here comes Harper, and the throw is too late on a wild pitch. Bryce Harper dives across, and the Phillies have a one nothing lead. I mean, that missed everything. Boog Shabby on ESPN Radio with that call. The Diamondbacks would tie the score in the bottom of the seventh. The 1-1. Swing and a ground ball. Past the diving boom. Down the left field line and into the corner. Thomas racing for third. They're going to send him. Here's the throw. And the relay is dropped and short by Turner. Thomas is in. It's an RBI double for Guriel. And the Diamondbacks have tied it at one. Now, the ninth inning was kind of wacky. Their base running mistakes all over the place, stuff getting messed up. But Cattell Marte was at the plate with a chance to win the game for Arizona. The 0-1. Swing and a line drive. Base hit. Center field. Racing home is Payment Smith. Cattell Marte and the Diamondbacks walk it off. And Arizona is back in this series. The Diamondbacks win it 2-1, and this series is now 2-1. Paven Smith has scored the winning run, spoke with Jesse Rogers. Well, that was exciting, Paven. Tell me what's going through your mind at third base. You just had a runner thrown out at third, so what are you ready for? Uh, just ready for anything on the ground. Bases were loaded, so I had to go on contact pretty much. Saw the ball in the air, made sure it got down, and then spread it around to Marte. Yeah, Marte made it easy on you. I meant you had a runner thrown out at home. How about this win? It gets you back in the series. I mean, what was that dugout like in the ninth? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, you can listen to this crowd, too. I mean, I can barely hear you right now. They're still going crazy, so we really fed off that energy, and uh, yeah, we can't wait to, uh, for tomorrow. Let's go back to you. Coming off the bench, a couple hits. How do you stay ready in a playoff game situation like this? Yeah, just try to breathe, keep your heart rate down. Uh, you know, we got the cage for in-between innings, so my routine has been just go in the fifth inning, fourth inning, and get ready and be ready for when your name's called. You feel like once you get to first, you get that runner at third, okay, we have a shot at ending this thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, always have confidence with our guys, with uh, 
Runners on third, less than two. Uh, Manny hit it hard, just right at Trey. And then uh, obviously, Perdomo with a great, great walk there. You know, he was down to two strikes and laying off uh, Kimbrel's sliders was huge. What's, what can you say about Marte? He's had a great series. He's unbelievable. Righty, lefty. Uh, he's been our best hitter so far this series. Congrats. Thank you. Billy's manager, Rob Thompson, talked about his focus now as the series moves forward. Do you feel like you guys missed an opportunity today to really put control on this series? It was a great ball game. It could have gone either way, you know. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm not going to think about it that way. I'm going to think about coming in here tomorrow and getting ready and getting ready to compete. Cattell Marte is having a great series. Tori Lavello talked about him. He's just got an unbelievable heartbeat. Um, he loves he loves to be in that moment, and you know he he is one of our best players for a reason. And I thought the key to that that inning was was Perdomo walking and handing it off to Cattell. But Cattell thrives in that situation. He just has a heart of a lion. He wants to get the job done and and be the main guy to help his team win a baseball game. Corbin Carroll talked about the Diamondbacks' Game Three victory. You know, I think it started with Fott today, right? Like, the job he did, that's, that's the best I've seen him pitch, and what a great time for it. Um, you know, on offense, you know, Marty just doing everything out there. Um, just a great all-around win. Some other notes, Chicago Cubs reliever Michael Fulmer is expected to miss the 2024 season following elbow surgery. And there are eight people listed on the Hall of Fame's contemporary ballot. Uh, Jim Leland. Lou Pinella, Cedar Gaston, Davey Johnson, all former managers, guys who, uh, with the exception of Leland, who played in the big leagues, they'll be on the ballot uh, when the winter meetings are held in Nashville, Tennessee. The voting will be there. In addition, the ballot also includes umpires Joe West and Ed Monahue, former National League President Bill White, and former general manager Hank Peters. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, new episode of the College Game Day podcast. It is the race for the ribeye week eight. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, Stanford Steve are picking eight games uh, from the weekend, including Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, which has like a weirdly low, like 32 point over under uh, Iowa trying to march to get a playoff spot. Check out the College Game Day podcast on YouTube. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Eduardo Perez is an analyst for ESPN. He's doing the games, the American League Championship Series on ESPN Radio. And Eduardo, all I can say is we got a series. We have a series. 
Rangers, Astros, 2-2 after four games. Pretty exciting. 48 hours ago, would you say that, though? No. I mean. <laughs> no, I thought they were going to get rolled. And, and I and I felt the same way. We talked about this with Bruce Bochy and, to a lesser degree, with Dusty Baker yesterday. It did feel like yesterday was a linchpin game. I, I said on the podcast that I thought if the Rangers win game four, they win the series. And if they lose game four, Houston wins the series. Yeah, and and when we went into the to the managers' meetings, I mean, I thought they thought the same thing uh, about how important Game Four was, and to the point that even Dusty Baker mentioned Joe Torre and how he would do his pitching alignment and everything. And you guys had a really cool conversation about that, and I was just putting that in my archive because that's stuff that I did not know. And when I don't know stuff and I learn, uh, that's why I go to the ballpark. That's why we had these manager meetings, and uh, it was just uh, it was a really really interesting way the way that the Houston Astros came out with urgency in both games and they took the crowd completely out of it game three it was in the second inning uh, yesterday it was in the first inning with three runs so there's so much and Jose Altuve got it started and I want to run through parts of this game we're also going to talk about the Phillies and Diamondbacks coming up uh but what's so interesting about Jose Altuve, who I've known forever, but you know him far better than I did, uh, far better than I do, um, is that there are just so many parts of him that don't make sense. Someone's five foot six, right, and has that much power. Someone five foot six is second all time in postseason home runs. He it has incredible anxiety. You know, that's what you hear from AJ Hinch and Alex Bregman, other guys in the team about. You know, his uh, desire, his need for hits. He's always fretting about hits. And on the other hand, in the biggest moments, in the biggest games of the year, he just seems like he seems so calm. Because I think everybody else is not, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And just to, just to be able to understand that when he gets into, look, when I first met, I have to go way back. When I first met Jose Altuve, he was a part of that 111 loss team in 2013. He knows what it is to lose. He does not like losing. Then he saw what winning was in 2015. And after that, it just seems that he's, that's a, he, he realizes, look, I'm going to cherish every moment of this. And he focuses a little bit better when it comes to October. He dials in a little bit more. He understands that you know, the success of the team comes from his success as well, offensively. And he takes advantage of it. And the numbers throughout the 100 games of his career are compelling. You threw that little piece of paper right in front of me yesterday. And when I saw those numbers, I actually grabbed it with my right hand, slid it over to my left hand, and passed it over to Tim. And Tim puts his glasses on, looks at the numbers, takes his glasses off, puts them on again, and like leans back and digests it the way Tim does. And then he says the numbers on air, and he turns around and goes, Thanks, Buster. Like, wow, those numbers are so special throughout the 100 games that he's played in, in the postseason. Yeah, 85 runs scored. Uh, and, and just in moments like yesterday uh, where he, you know, feels going into the game, look, we need a jolt, and they jump on Andrew Heaney, who just, uh, I mean, it felt like he didn't even get out of the first inning. Uh, it was so ugly, you know, during that, uh, during that time. Uh, Jose Abreu, what a cool story. 
the way that his year has gone. You know, so respected within the sport, a former MVP, signs a three-year deal with the Astros for $58.5 million. I think whenever when they signed him, the thought was, boy, he's perfect. Like, he's someone with experience, a right-handed hitter. He protect Jordan Alvarez. And it was a disastrous start. Uh, and, and, Eduardo, you'll love this story. You know, late last night as I was – uh, work uh, leaving the Astros clubhouse, I see Reggie Jackson there. And he's waiting to get on the bus. And I say, hey, Reggie, how about Abreu? And he tells me this story about how in the middle of May, when Abreu was in the worst of his slump, you know, this is someone who took 51 games before he hit his first Astros home run. And when he was in the worst of his slump, Abreu said, hey, can we talk? And they walked in the outfield at Minute Maid Park. Reggie says for 40 minutes, and he goes, he talked and he talked and he talked and I listened. And what, you know, Reggie's sense was is that Jose felt so badly about how poorly he was playing. And he sought out Reggie probably because he understood that Reggie's part of the, the ownership, uh, leadership within the Astros organization, probably because he knows Reggie's an accomplished player and maybe because he knows Reggie was a, a free agent, you know, who went to, a, you know, New York under high pressure and Reggie related last night, he had struggles going in a new place. And, and as Reggie pointed out, you know, Abreu was taken over from Yuli Gurriel, who was a very popular figure within the Astros clubhouse and Abreu felt so badly. And he was apologizing to Reggie. I'm, I'm so bad. And I, and he was promising him, look, I'm really working on it. I'm trying to get better. And that's part of what dragged him down for the last year. You, you explained that to me early this season. Yeah, and look, the, the first move of the Houston Astros going out and getting Jose Abreu, and everybody saying was well, too old, his game is going down, um, and then they were believing it early on in the year. And he, I think he started believing it as well. And he is such a worker. He's a grinder. He doesn't cut corners. Um, his upbringing in Cuba did not allow him to cut any corners. And when he got here, he realized, look, you are older, and it's okay to be able to aim it down a little bit so you can be ready for that 707 game at night or that afternoon game in, in, in the weekend. But one thing that he always was is sure of who and what he could do at the plate. And I remember having this conversation with him as well and saying, Hey, stop trying so hard. Take a, take a deep breath, go back to right center, go back to your roots, get your work in and get out. But he had, a sore back. He had a sore wrist at the time and he kept grinding through it. I think the best thing that could have happened to him was realizing that once he's put on the IL. Yep. He and that was in mid August. That that was mid August. It, right. it basically was a mental and physical break for him. It was let's shut everything down. Let's focus on your body and not focus on your numbers. And I think that reset his entire perspective. And what we've seen so far is the guy that they wanted the entire year, but the guy that they need now. And the guy that they need now in order for them to win is the Jose Abreu that's driving in all these runs since the beginning of September, the guy that drove in the most runs in September in the American League. And this is bad news for other teams because, of course, now that you have Abreu hitting uh, thriving behind Jordan Alvarez, there's no escaping. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So I'm going to go there, right? Because I, th I thought it was cool and I was so proud of myself. And I looked at you and I showed you and I showed Tim and I showed everybody else. After he hit the home run, you know, I even said it. I was like, look, 
Right now, the Texas Rangers have a Cuban Missile Crisis. And I Googled it just to look at it, and you guys should Google it as well. The Cuban Missile Crisis was between October 16th and October 26th, the 26th, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> of 1962. Look, it was the 19th yesterday. It worked beautifully right in the middle of it. JFK would have been proud of me. Very nice. Now, did Carl Ravitch compliment you on air for nailing all the dates? No. No, he made fun of me. He made fun. He's, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, look, I know my history. And and it's 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 a sad history, but the Cubans, both Alvarez and Abreu, are making an unbelievable impact in this series. All right. So if you're the Texas Rangers, you've lost the first two games at home. By the way, the home team has lost all four games in the series so far. But to me, if you're the Rangers, you got to have a, a start to the game the way the Astros did last night against Justin Verlander, who I think you'd agree with me at this stage in his career. He's still at the beginning of games is figuring it out. Uh, you know, I talked to him about this two days ago because he's not 26 and he's not throwing 100 miles an hour and he's not just blowing hitters and bullying hitters. He has to take some time to figure out what's working. Is it the curveball? Is it the fastball? Is it just, you know, how's his slider? He's trying to work through all that early in the game. The Rangers desperately need a crooked number early. What do you think? You know, I think that's a perfect start to the open today because you're absolutely right. Um, Justin Verlander, his last few outings, um, he's trying to figure it out. Trying to figure it out. If you don't get him in the first two innings, uh, you're you're in trouble. Uh, one thing that he has to be able to do is land that slider well. Uh, see yes. how the fastball up works. Uh, but what he has been able to do also that he is not known for because he only had 11 of those this year, but he has had two in the postseason, is the ability to be able to induce the double play, get the ground ball, and use that forcing fastball down in the zone when he does. If the Texas Rangers understand how he has pitched with runners on base differently than when he pitches with no one on base, I think they could have an advantage. But will they be able to figure that out? On the other end, I know you're going to go here. It's and I'm going to beat you to it. It's Jordan Montgomery. He had a lot of success the first time around, but will he be able to have the same success the second time around? And we have to look back at the Orioles series and see the adjustments that the Orioles made. I guarantee you that the Houston Astros right now are breaking that down, and they understand that the slider, that the curveball that he threw, that was really sharp, as fast as he threw, that they didn't, they weren't aware as that he had that velo in him. They are going to be aware now. They have made their adjustments. They are not four or five days off from taking a day off. They have been playing back-to-back games. I think that's huge. Their timing is on. And I think this is going to be interesting to see how Jordan makes the adjustment to the Astros because I really do believe that he's still the one that's going to have to do it because the Astros are going to be ready for for the Jordan Montgomery that they saw in game one especially this time of year when the, there's so much hyper focus on each plate appearance in each game in a way that there just isn't during the regular season. You know this, you know, during the regular season, you're kind of floating along, but this time of year, you're so locked in. I talked with Alex Centrone, uh, the hitting coach for the Astros after the game last night, someone you know well, and he told me that after Abreu's uh, second plate appearance, he something struck in his mind and he went back and he found a video of Abreu during a plate appearance from September 
And he was com- and he gave a side by side comparison during last night's game to Abreu and said, "Look, you got to keep your weight back a little bit more. You don't want to spin open. You know that's what teams are doing this time of year. They are that detailed in their preparation that Abreu hits a home run in his next plate appearance, having been reminded to keep his weight back. So uh, I agree and, with you. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah, and he should be, and he should be, and I think this is the difference." of the Houston Astros having an Alex Cintron as a hitting coach that he's been there. He understands that sometimes it's not just about the, the, the mechanics itself, or it's not about the approach. It's about the mental side and the grind of having to play 162 and the grind of having to go into the postseason. I think he's one of the best hitting coaches in the game. And it's not because he knows all the analytical side of it, he respects the analytical side of it, but the guys perform under his under his tutelage, and it's just the support system that they have. He understands that they can hit, but he also has gained their respect and trust to be able to tell them anything at any time during a game. All right. Uh, I think you'd agree with this statement that, uh, you know, every time we see a team win a championship, right, all the players come out and, and say, no one believed in us. We're the only ones who thought we could possibly win this thing. The Arizona Diamondbacks will be the first team in history where that's actually true. If the Diamondbacks go on and win this series after that crazy game last night, they can rightly say, no one thought they could win. <laughs> what do you think? A hundred percent, a hundred percent right on that one. And the only people that thought that the Arizona Diamondbacks could win are probably their season ticket holders, right? If you look at it that way, they, and even they had doubts once they saw maybe the first even their players games. have doubts. Yeah, maybe, maybe even the players had doubts as well. I still, I, I still think they need to figure out Wheeler. I still think they need need to figure out Nola. I still believe that the best team is still the Philadelphia Phillies. But the Phillies themselves cannot take them for granted. There, there's a reason why they went into Milwaukee and they won two games. There's a reason why they went to Chavez Ravine and they won two games before going to Arizona and winning the third. Um, they're for real. And they cannot take them lightly because big league players, if you do, anything can happen in this beautiful game. All right. Uh, I'm just going to say that last night you are such a positive person Last night was the first time I've ever seen you where you're throwing up your hands like, oh, my God, that was so terrible. All the mistakes being made in that Diamondbacks-Phillies game, it was so awful that it was great. It, it, it was. And um, <laughs> they're lucky they won. They were giving the game away on the bases. I, I was just astonished. You have the runners at second and third base and a infields in and the winning run. I mean, the walk-off run is at third. You're at second base. You have have to go Paven Smith you were there you were you were just taking your lead and because the shortstop caught the ball was he going to think that the shortstop was going to go after him I mean that's just baseball 101 and things like that at this level at this level Buster cannot happen the other one was runners at first and third <laughs> no outs infield again playing playing in but the middle playing a couple steps back ball gets hit hard to the shortstop at third base, it's a must-go. You stay away from the double play. You'd rather have runners at first and second with one out than have a double play and a runner at third. I mean, not only is that analytically proven, but it's just baseball. It's baseball common sense. Runner at third base stays on the hard shot on the ground. They turn two. Now the runner at third stays there with two outs. And again, 
again, they get out of it. The Phillies get out of it. Just baseball 101, common sense, running the bases. It's not just about hitting a baseball and being in the cage all day. It's not about just throwing the baseball at 102 miles per hour. There is a part of the game that still has to be respected at this level, and that's base running. Yeah, you and Tim Kirkton in the uh, press boxes, that was all playing out yesterday. I thought Tim was going to pass out. Like, he just couldn't believe it because you know how much Tim loves to talk about base running. All right, sir. Uh, thanks for doing this, and I'll see you at the ballpark in a little bit. Thanks, man. I'll see you soon. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer from MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I was laughing before I was talking to Eduardo about, uh, and you know Eduardo, and you know Tim Kirkton, and I was laughing watching those two guys watch the end of the Diamondbacks-Phillies games with all the base running mistakes that were being made by the Diamondbacks. I, I didn't think either one of them would survive to do the broadcast of our game because they were just passed out on the floor so upset with the base running. What was that like to watch? I always think of Tim with the base running. I mean, even going back to one, I was researching baseball night. I can remember him talking about base running, not what it used to be. And all of that. So that's actually the first thing I thought of on that double play where the runner didn't break for home and the entire thing. I mean, you know, hey, they won the game, so it works out. But I know Tori Lavella said post game those things will be addressed promptly and was aware of those not being okay plays to me making on this stage at this point. Yeah, that was so funny. You know, it was interesting because I, I hear Tori Lavelle, but you know and I know like that those particular game situations may not be repeated for five years. Right. You know, like you have the potential winning run at third base and Paven Smith was leading off second base and there's a ground ball to shortstop and Trey Turner throws home and Paven Smith just freezes and doesn't move and doesn't advance to third. And so when the runner is thrown out at home plate, uh, you know, Maven Smith is still standing on second base and, and you're just like, wow. And then they, they showed his face later. And I thought that is the look of like me in my one day when I was in the Marine Corps, right? When I was, uh, I was actually, and be clear, I was not actually in the Marine Corps, but just this stunned look of, no, I am completely out of my element right here, you know? And Paven Smith, you know, in, in his first big moment of his career in the postseason, and I'm sure that the next time he'll handle it better. But you talk about a deer in headlights. It was it's part of what makes the postseason so fun. That's for sure. For sure. And you're right that those exact situations may not come up again for any of the guys involved for five years. But I can guarantee these guys will be so much more heads up on the base pass because of this. And I would hope they'll have a, you know, an influence across the entire team. Not that everyone else was also running the bases poorly, but it feels like the kind of thing where now you don't want to be the guy to make that mental mistake after everybody else did. So maybe it ends up being a victory for them. They still won the game and now they have this extra kind of you know, maybe shock to the system to make sure you're making the right plays in those moments. Yeah, I said to Eduardo that they'll be the first sports team in history when all the players, as they always do, say no one believed in us, the Diamondbacks will be right. <laughs> no one 
thinks that they can win this series. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is we'll go with zero. So speaking of the Diamondbacks, I was so proud of Brandon Bott. He pitched so well in that situation, and he became the first pitcher in postseason history with no runs and no walks allowed in back-to-back stars. I mean, think of all the guys who have pitched in the postseason, and think of all the guys lately who have turned in very short starts with the way the pitching goes these days in the postseason. So for Brandon Pot to do this, I thought was really, really impressive. He had nine strikeouts and no walks. The only rookie in postseason history with at least that many strikeouts and no walks. The only other rookie in a postseason game was Don Newcomb in the 1949 World Series. And this is the guy who, I mean, Brian Anderson talked about all throughout the broadcast. This is the guy who has been up and down all throughout the season. He's really worked through his issues at the major league level. So you just love to see the success for a pitcher like that. We know that Justin Berlander's the world, the Zach Wellers of the world. We expect them to come out and be really, really good on this stage. But for someone who probably not a lot of people had heard of before this postseason to come out and do that, I mean, that to me is what October is all about. Number two. Number two is, well, I just used zero, so we'll go with four. So this ALCS has been absolutely incredible in one, in many ways. But one way that sticks out is that the home team has yet to lead at any point in any game. So this is just the fourth series in postseason history that has had zero leads at any point by the home team through the first four games of the series. The other series to have that, the 01 ALDS between the A's and Yankees, 1986 World Series with the Mets and Red Sox, and the 1906 World Series with the White Sox and Cubs. And none of those extended to five total games. So by that, the Rangers will have a lead at some point today or else the series will set a record. Number one. Number one is one. I want to talk about Jose Abreu, who is having this outstanding postseason. So he became yesterday with his 438-foot home run, the first player with three home runs with at least 430 feet in a single postseason under Sackhouse, which goes back to 2015. Not Jordan Alvarez, not Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, anyone else who has the ball really far. Giancarlo Stan, Aaron Judge, all of these guys have played in the postseason in that span. But it's Jose Abreu, who, as we've talked around, has this great kind of comeback story within the season for this year. He is the first guy to do that. And, I mean, he and Jordan Alvarez became the first pair of teammates. They each have at least four homers and 10 RBIs within their team's first eight games of a single postseason. 
So 21 total guys, including the two of them, have done that in a postgame, but they're the first two to do it on the same team in the same year. I think it's awesome, again, for the same reason. Obviously, people had heard of him, not the same as Brandon Fott, but nobody, seeing the way season started, thought that's going to be an October huge player for the Astros, and here he is, and I love that for him and for the team. You know, one thing that's cool is when you have conversation with players and you can tell which players, because not all baseball players are, are baseball fans, as you know. Some players, you know, this is their profession and they're really good at it, but they're not really baseball fans. Mauricio Doban is a huge baseball fan. And so I asked him about Abreu's home run and he just paused and he goes, that guy is an ox. <laughs> that was the word he chose. He is so strong. He said, there's nothing surprising about how how far he can hit a baseball because he's just so strong. Uh, you know, last night with Jose Altuve, his 100th game in the postseason, as you know, uh, and, and which got me to, you know, looking up some of the numbers that he's chasing. And I think there's a good chance that Altuve is going to run down a lot of these numbers that seem to be untouchable. And, you know, that took me back to Derek Jeter and what remarkable things he did in the postseason. And, yes, the Yankees played in a lot of postseason games, but you still got to play in those games and you still have to perform. And you remember, and I know you; these are numbers that are probably burned into your brain, how many career hits Derek Jeter had in the postseason? I don't know, actually. 200, exactly. 200 oh career gosh. hits in 158 games. He had 111 runs scored. Altuve is a long way away from the 200 hits, but he's closing in on runs scored. 85 runs scored in 100 career postseason games. So, and I'm assuming Derek is probably number one in that category. It means he's only 26 runs away. You might get that next year, Sarah. It's amazing how Altuve, someone who, as I said to Eduardo, was so filled with anxiety about getting hits, and yet in these big moments, he just seemed so calm. He's so good at it. I mean, I understand the anxiety. I understand that that isn't even connected to being good at it. But he's so good at it. And, you know, the other thing that Jeter has as well, and it's part of the reason that the two of them are on these airports, is help is the fact that their teams have been making the postseason. And Jeter's case made the postseason a lot. And they were always healthy and always there to contribute. And it's really incredible if you think about They were talking uh, last night on the broadcast on TV about how he didn't even have the best postseason last year. And yet here he is still accumulating everything. I mean, it's really incredible to watch him. He is so thoughtful in his post-game interviews, and I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that a star like him has been through so much is able to really be kind of introspective about what he is doing. I mean, when he hit the home run off Scherzer two days ago, he said on the broadcast, you know, I hadn't gotten a hit off him lately. And he was right. His last hit off of him was in the 2019 World Series, and he's gone like 10 straight plate appearance since then without getting a hit. So I just think it's really incredible that he is doing all of this and that he is able to kind of share it with all of us as fans of baseball and people who cover the game in that additional way as well. 
Yeah, I completely disagree with you. He's amazingly annoying in those postseason <laughs> interviews. And I'm going to tell him that today because he will not. He's in a mode right now where it's all about the team. So you could he could hit five homers in a game and I'd say, hey, Jose, you know, tell me, walk me through how you're feeling about those five home runs. Oh, that's not important. I, you know, we're, we're getting closer to our goal. We're focused on today. <laughs> Come on, Jose, just give a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm only half kidding. I am going to give him a hard time about it today. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Todd, uh, how are you doing this Friday? I'm doing well, Buster. Thank you for asking. A a gloomy day here in Philadelphia. The rain uh, just stopped. And uh, we will see what happens later tonight. It's a sunny day here in Texas, which means it's probably going to, they're going to have the roof closed. Like, uh, who knows? Clearly, Dusty Baker has no idea. Uh, You know, yesterday when he was telling reporters that there was an agreement uh, about the ballpark and whether or not they'd open up the roof here. And he was kind of like arms out, like, I don't know. But it's a beautiful sunny day. And so the roof will probably be on here. Uh, as we get ready for game five. Uh, before we get to this week's quiz and talk about the forgotten field, uh, I've got a question from PK Steinberg for you. 
uh, PK Wrights, given their vastly various uniform designs and colors, are the Diamondbacks among the most fluctuating of teams in baseball togs history. How about that? I mean, the writing in that was excellent, PK. Togs. Togs and toggery. Yeah, right, I mean, it's exactly. A, it's a good question, and uh, here's the deal uh, for 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 everybody. Um, the Diamondbacks, of course, a young franchise the first, let's say, uh, seven or eight years of their existence, they wore purple and eggplant, or it's actually jade or whatever it is, and copper. And this is the team, of course, Buster, because you wrote a book kind of about it that won a World Series uh, as a very young team. And I think that that look is baked into people's minds. Now, they abandoned that look in, I think, 2007 for more or less the color scheme that they wear today. Sedona red, black, sand, now it's got a little turquoise in there. Um, But they've continued to wear their original look as an alternate. So you've got this bifurcated split personality thing that they've been engaged with for the last 15, 18 years, something like that. Um, I look at it this way, too. City Connects tend to further dilute perceptions of what a team is supposed to look like, even though the Diamondbacks, City Connects, pretty much look like, you know, the colors are the same. It's not like the Red Sox going out there dressed in, uh, dressed up as minions, as I say. So anyway, um, Diamondbacks have had a lot of little incremental changes, gimmicky little, you know, gradient gradients on their shoulders and pants and all this stuff. But listen, um, if they, if they continue to win like they did yesterday, and uh, they they uh, reel off some uh, some memorable games in October. Maybe this look takes hold. So, if you were uh, the uh, let's say you were a leader in their clubhouse, what color uniform would you wear today? <laughs> well, I think they're going to go with their usual uh, getups. I don't think that they have allowances for the original purple and copper and no. And but green. I mean, among the you know the various combinations that they could throw out there today, do you believe that they should have they sh- you got to stick with what you you won with 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 game three? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think so. And I'm kind of a traditional guy. It's the postseason. The home team should wear white. The road team should wear gray. Um, you know. Buster, it drove me crazy watching the Boston Red Sox win the World Series in L.A. in 2018 wearing navy blue jerseys. It just felt like a spring training game <laughs> from a visual perspective. I know, I know, I'm I'm the only one that feels that way, and they won the World Series. But, uh, but yeah, I think yesterday with the Diamondbacks wore at-home moment-in-time stuff. They're at home. You wear white uniforms. It's the stuff that also drives me crazy when I see an NBA game, particularly on my uh, mobile device, a tiny little screen, compared to what we're used to looking at on TV. And I have no idea who's playing. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of expansion franchises, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. So, Buster, this stadium was the first home of the Marlins, who played there for a total of 18 seasons. 67,498 fans attended Game 6 of the 1997 World Series here. The highest single-game attendance for the Fall Classic in the past 63 years. This is where Roy Halladay of the Phillies pitched the 20th perfect game in MLB history, and it was the site of Mark McGuire's NL record-breaking 57th home run. Its greatest baseball moment arguably came on October 26, 1997, 
when Edgar Renteria's 11th inning walk-off single gave the Marlins a World Series championship in a Game 7 for the ages. The stadium has been called 10 different official names since it opened in 1987, but today we will refer to it as Pro Player Stadium since that was the name during both of the Florida Marlins World Series victories in 1997 and 2003. Miami Dolphins owner Joe Robbie began to float the idea of a privately financed stadium for his NFL team in the 1970s. The inadequacies of Miami's Orange Bowl weighed heavily on Robbie, who threatened to move the Dolphins elsewhere. Joe Robbie Stadium opened in 1987, just as talk of National League expansion was in the air in baseball. Robbie passed away in 1990. The NL voted to expand to Denver and South Florida the following June. The football stadium was originally built to dimensions that would accommodate baseball and soccer, and the expansion Marlins owner, Wayne Huizenga, just happened to own a piece of the Dolphins and half of their stadium. He embarked upon a $10 million renovation project to make the venue baseball ready. Retractable seating was installed on the north side of the stadium, and dugouts and new lighting were added. A 200-foot-long manual scoreboard was placed in left field, and the vast majority of the orange seats in the upper deck were closed for baseball. The Marlins drew over 3 million spectators in their inaugural season, starting with their home opener on April 5th, 1993, a 6-3 victory over the L.A. Dodgers. Four Player Stadium was decidedly not an intimate venue. It was always a football-first facility, and its location, surrounded by parking lots, was great for tailgating eight games a season, but that is not what MLB stadiums were trending toward in the waning years of the 20th century. The sight lines were not awesome. Straightaway center field was a robust 430 feet away from home plate, and the oppressive heat and humidity and seemingly daily rain delays were a trademark thing over there. In 2001, Marlins outfielder Bobby Bonilla told the Miami Herald, and I quote, Who's going to come down here and sit in the damn rain? You can't ask a guy to, to work all day making money and then spend it sitting here in this bleep with his family until one in the morning. And he wasn't wrong. The Marlins looked toward a new stadium with a roof, and they moved into what's now Lone Depot Park in 2012. Pro Player Stadium underwent a $755 million makeover starting in 2015. It's now called Hard Rock Stadium, and it still houses the Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes a football-only venue with a slew of modern Lux revenue-generating amenities. Go to a game there. Remember the Teal Curtain and Arrestus Destrada and Jeff Conine and two World Series championship teams at what used to be Pro Player Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. Uh, wow. There's so much, so many thoughts. You stirred my memories on that one. You know, Arrestus Destrada, what a great guy. Uh, I think you see him on Rays broadcasts these days or pregame and postgame show. He used to work at ESPN. Great yeah. dude there for sure. Uh, and you said when you said that, that the Marlins drew three million fans. Can you imagine a world in which the Marlins are drawing three million fans? I think Kim Ang lost her job uh, in part because of the owners uh, being angry at Derek Jeter because the team's not drawing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 Buster. I mean, think about the the promise of expansion in Florida in both uh, both markets, Miami and Tampa Bay, and how this was seen to be the foothold into Latin America and retirees from the Northeast oh. who love baseball. 
And um, I'm not saying they got it totally wrong. These are huge population centers, obviously, but it isn't what it was supposed to have been 30 years ago. No. By the way, before we get to this week's quiz, have you seen the Cowboys uh, stadium in person? Yeah, I've been there. And actually, Buster, I was there for the for the NBA All-Star game, which was really weird. Oh, no kidding. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize I didn't realize that that's where they played it. I would say when you see it in person, I'm reminded of this because I walk past it every day going to and from the ballpark from the hotel where I'm staying. It's like looking at a small planet, <laughs> like a moon. world. It's crazy how huge it is. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, think about it. The uh, the MLB All-Star Game is going to be out there next summer. We will uh, renew my annual uh, option for a contract over pizza in the parking lot in Arlington or something like that with with Jerry World hovering over us. That, But that stadium, of course, really set the tone for a lot of things that came after. Every team wants something that looks and they want to control the kind of revenues that the Cowboys do. It's pretty amazing. It is amazing. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. Week 32, my friends. This club was the first to win back-to-back World Series. Was it A, the Athletics? Was it B, the Giants? Was it C, the Yankees? Or was it D, the Cubs? This club, the first to win back-to-back World Series. Athletics, Giants, Yankees, Cubs. Uh Sarah, you want to go first? You're looking with trepidation, by the way, when I ask, like, who's going to go first? It's like I feel like a teacher calling on someone in class. I know I never want to go first. Um, I'm going to say the Cubs. Taylor? I'll go Giants. I'm going Giants, too. Barrow with the Phillies hat going with the Cubs. who won back-to-back World Series in 1907-1908 and then went dormant for... Another hundred. A long time after that. A long time. So congratulations, Sarah. Oh, thanks. I needed that one. Yes, you did. Besides, I'm going to make excuses for myself. Besides, uh, you know, having it in the morning and still getting my coffee kicked in, I was also like my brain was starting to cramp thinking about, you know, as you know, they played the World Series and there was a time off because John McGraw, the Giants, uh, manager didn't want to have anything to do with the American League and they didn't play for a year uh so I was trying to piece all that together but Sarah congratulations thank you overthinking things Buster Uh, well I mean that's been a theme this year and yet I still managed to hang on and be in first place so Taylor we haven't heard from you uh you know in response to this Buster, you're so sassy on Fridays. Always, I feel like we're at the, we're at the end of the podcast, end of the week. I know you're working all weekend, but you got to you got to let someone have it. You're feeling punchy. <laughs> all right, <laughs> thanks for doing this. All right, guys, thank you. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for Friday. Zach Beeson writes in Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez are must-watch baseball. I can't take my eyes off the TV when they hit. Are they the Bash Brothers of this era of baseball? Nah, I, I don't know if Jose <laughs> Altuve wants to be called the Bash Brothers. He'd be the first one to laugh at that. Uh, yeah, but they are fun to watch. And uh, you know, Altuve now piling up these numbers. Jordan Alvarez, you can't get him out, and Jose Abreu's hot. So it's going to be tough in my mind for the Rangers to come back here. Glenn Ray writes, and you were discussing the playoffs should look more like the regular season. Shouldn't five and seven game series look more like three and two and three, three, one. This could eliminate travel days and make managers use their pitching staff more like the regular season. 
I, I don't know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to have this. I mean, three three one with no travel days in between. It's weird. That that would be ugly. Um, I, you know, I get it. And I thought Hembo put it best last week. This is the way the sport is, and, and it's the way it's always been in the postseason. You just never know who's going to get hot, how injuries are going to manifest, and which lower seed is going to step up and, and perform. Brian Simpson, Yo B. Simp writes in, Fernando Tatis Jr. has been given permission to play 20 games in the Dominican Winter League. Is this normal for a superstar like Tatis? No. Uh, in fact, there are few and fewer big leaguers who are playing in winter ball teams. Sometimes don't go along with that. But, you know, after what was, I think he probably would say it was a mediocre season offensively. It's not a surprise that he wants to get some games in just to try to get that feel back to where he was early in his career. Last one for the week. Don Irvine writes in, if Dave Roberts never wins another World Series, where will he rank among Dodgers managers? Mm, well, I think he's going to be three for sure. Uh, Lasorda's one uh, because of his stature. I, I put Walter Alston two. Um, and Walter Alston probably had, you know, I mean, had more championships. I believe this to be the case. than Lasorda uh, and then Dave Roberts would be number three uh, in, in a history. They you know, they have had relatively few managers compared to a lot of other franchises uh, and with two Hall of Famers and Lasorda and with Alston. And we'll see if Dave some point, uh, you know, winds up joining them in Cooperstown. Very cool. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this weekend. Thanks, everyone. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Eduardo, to Sarah, to Todd, Parker, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. We will pick up the podcast again on Monday. Uh, Taylor, we haven't talked about this yet, but uh, look, if the if it gets wrapped up, the series does on Sunday night. We'll be doing a baggage claim Monday, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the series extends to a game seven, I'll talk to you on Monday from Houston. All right. I love I love the unpredictability we have going on here. I'm sure you love that, too, for, <laughs> for your schedule in life.